0: so many layers to why we ended up with a missing period in the first place. And so not only do I help women, you know, relearn how to eat and relearn how to exercise, and then we eventually get into the intuitive part once we've reestablished regular menstrual cycles, but really taking a look at the mindset behind why we lost our period in the first place because we could simply eat more and rest more and get a period back right? But if you're still having those thoughts around food, obsessing about your body, about exercise, let me tell you, I've been there and it is no way to live. You're listening to the Well Woman
1: Podcast. I'm your host, Gemma Lee, women's menstrual cycle educator, natural fertility coach, and daytime mermaid. This is a place where we discuss all things periods, poo, ovulation, fertility, and sex. Join me weekly as we rediscover our menstrual cycles, unlock its superpowers, and guide you back into your cyclical nature. You're tuning in to episode 213 of the Well Woman podcast. Today on the show we are talking about hypothalamic amenorrhea, missing periods and hormonal birth control with Cynthia Donovan. Now Cynthia is a registered dietitian nutritionist that helps women get their periods back. She helps them reverse hypothalamic amenorrhea, aka a missing period, restore their health and regain fertility. It's her life purpose to help women find their balance with food and exercise and she has over 10 years of experience and is the founder of Eat to Regain Your Period program. She's helped hundreds of women all over the world get their periods back and end their missing period dilemma. And this is why she's joining us today in this episode to talk exactly about that missing period. So have you ever had a missing period? Like why did your period go missing? Well, that's what we're going to be talking about. In this episode, we are tuning into exactly what is hypothalamic amenorrhea, what is pre-hypothalamic anamenorrhea, how our food and our eating ways and habits and behaviors can largely impact our menstrual cycle and our ability to ovulate and menstruate. We talk about the question of like, why is my period missing and how can I get my period back? And Cynthia shares with us some amazing tips on how we can do just that with food, movement, the right types of macronutrients, our mindset and lots, lots more. So you're in for a treat with this episode. Cynthia, welcome to the Well Woman podcast.
0: Thank you so much for having me, Gemma. I'm so excited to be here. You
1: are very welcome and you're worth it, hence why you're here um, to talk about a really great topic that we've never delved into or explored on the podcast. And this is really one of your areas of expertise. I'm looking forward to opening up all about it with you. But before we get started, let's jump straight into tell us what cycle day you're on today and how are you tuning in and checking in?
0: So I had to check quickly before we hit the record button because I do track my cycle, uh, but it's like I don't. Unless I look at my app, um, or like, no, I'm actually ovulating or having my cycle, my, my actual period. I'm not 100% sure on the exact date, but I checked it. I am cycle day 10 and I am in my prime, which I like to say in my follicular phase, I am just full of energy. I'm creative, um, not tired. Um, libido is high. Um, <laughs> so I feel, I totally feel great in my follicular phase. So yes, that's I'm tuning in by doing things really that um, I have energy for, um, such as staying up late to record this podcast. Um, It's 8 p.m. here on the East Coast. And um, tomorrow I'm going to do some more intense uh, physical activity, which I usually kind of shy away from in the other half of my cycle. So yeah, that's how I'm, I'm tuning in right now.
1: Mm, I love it. All the energy, especially to do a call like this at eight o'clock at night, and that's what happens when you live in almost the polar opposites of the planet. So, yeah, it's beautiful to use the to connect with you and to bring this conversation to hypothalamic anemia today. Such a tongue twister and a mouthful, and. I think not a lot of people know really what it is and they have no idea that there's multiple types of anemia anomer- but before we get there let's talk about your journey and how you decided to become a registered dietitian and then why did you decide like what was the contributing factor or what was the journey that you took that made you decide to really hone in on this angle of women's health that I focus on too which is about you know cycles periods ovulation etc so talk to me how did this journey begin and how did you get here?
0: Yeah, so um, I'm going to try to snapshot it in just a few minutes uh, because it's a long one. Um, Prior to becoming a dietitian, so I've been a dietitian, oh gosh, I think it's coming close to now 15 years. Um, I like to just say over 10 because that makes me feel old. Um, But I became a dietitian uh, because I had a very vast interest in nutrition. Now, flash backward, my quote unquote interest in nutrition was an interest, but it was very much so um, a control thing as well, because I was very focused on health, quote unquote health, fitness, et cetera. And um, I was like, well, this sounds like a great um, thing to go to college for, because I was going to be a physician's assistant and then... I just couldn't do math. And so I was like, oh my gosh like I can get a degree in nutrition, become a registered dietitian. I can tell people what to eat and how to lose weight and like, oh, my gosh. And um, so I graduated and uh, sat for my registration exam. also got my master's degree in nutrition at the same time. And um, then I went to work as a clinical dietitian, which is a dietitian that works in like the hospital healthcare arena. And that was not all of what I thought I was going to be doing. And so it was a great starting point. Um, And then while I was doing that, I simultaneously started doing a little bit of a private practice, um, helping people with weight loss or like just healthy eating and stuff like that. And um, I, along the way, was a health freak, if you want to call it, very... um, they have a term now, it's not classified as an eating disorder quite yet, but it's called orthorexia. So I was very orthorexic, which is very um, normalized. Now, you won't hear that word a lot, but it's very normalized to be very healthy. Uh, Eating, you know, lots of vegetables, lean protein, exercising every single day. I was what I thought was the image of health and it was all to uphold an image. And then also, um, you know, my, my, when I say image as a dietitian, like my identity and then my actual identity of what my body physically looked like. So, Mm. yeah. And so then I decided, um, well, this was not within the career, but I went to college, and I got my degree and started a job started a little side practice. And during the midst of that time, I got engaged and I was going to be married. And I decided at that time, because I went on birth control when I was very young for painful periods to come off birth control pills. And then I found out I did not have a period. So that led me down a rabbit hole of trying to figure out what the heck was going on. And when I did, and if we have time to get more in-depth into my story, um, when I finally figured it out, it was almost five years of trying to figure out what why my cycle wasn't there. And there wasn't a doctor that could tell me anything other than go on the pill or seek fertility treatment when you're ready to have babies. And so I, after almost five years, I got really impatient and I was like, okay, all right, get me pregnant, like, because I, I I don't know what's going on. And prior to that, I was diagnosed with PCOS. Um, and then that drove me deeper into HA, hypothalamic menorrhea. And then, uh, once I finally found a doctor that correctly diagnosed me, I totally like was in denial. Didn't think that was me because I didn't fit the box or the criteria of ha and um ended up still pursuing fertility treatment because at that time i was approaching 30 years old or i was a little over 30 years old and had my first baby via um iui and uh year post still nursing got my period back naturally Woo! and then um uh, 15 months postpartum, I conceived my second little boy naturally. And so after that, I decided to quit my real life job. And, um, during the midst of that time, I was like, okay, what am I going to do? I want to, I always had an entrepreneurial type of like heart. And so then my, um, my sister-in-law was like why don't you specialize in what you went through and I was like huh I was like that's a fabulous idea because not only did I have all the you know the research behind it because I did so much research for myself um, but I had the empathy and the, the 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 connection to how others feel going through this and so I've made it now my mission to you know, spread this awareness of HA across the world and to work with women um, near and far, all the way as far as where you are, Gemma, and close as where I am to help them bring a natural cycle back, give them the answers that they're desperately looking for, and to not have them struggle for years and years and years and years and years, and years like I did. Mm. So yeah, that's it in a, in a, a few-minute nutshell. It's hard to take two decades and put them all into like, well, how did I get
1: here? And why am I doing this again? Remind me. Um, I love your journey. So thank you for sharing. It's actually very similar to me, except for the fact I wasn't getting married. I didn't get married and I wasn't coming off hormonal birth control to like try to have kids. I just came off hormonal birth control found out that I had PCOS, didn't have a bleed for a number of months. And I was like, what the fuck is going on? And so very similar. I was already working in the health field, been in the nutrition industry for God, like at least seven, eight years by that stage. And I was like, how come no one has brought this up before? And I've not learned this in any of the things I've studied. So yeah, very similar journeys. And so I can really um, you know, resonate with what you've shared. And I think it's so exciting. And I think you'll understand this too, how exciting it is that we live in a world that people are actually talking about this stuff now. You know, whereas when I first came off the pill after 12 years of contraceptive use, I was very unaware and there was no education out
0: there. So Nothing. Have, you, have you seen that too? A big shift? Oh, absolutely. I mean, when I was, okay, so let's see. Uh, I think it was about close to 12 years ago when I came off the pill. Mm. um, And I was on it for 10 years. And at that time there was nothing, nothing, not a thing. I still feel like there's a huge knowledge deficit um, out there and healthcare providers not knowing, um, but definitely it's coming around. Um, I searched near and far, it was probably close to five year, almost the five year mark, and that's when I found a couple resources, a Facebook group, um, where I met now, um, the author of no period. Now what Dr. Nicola Sykes or Dr. Nicola Rinaldi formerly, um, who actually at that time there was no book. So have you heard of the book? No period. Now what? Mm -hmm. Yes. So there was no book then. And I feel like that's become a a very big resource for a lot of uh, women suffering from HA out there and there was no book. And, uh, there was certainly not any dietitians out there doing what i'm doing now i can think of a few um so yeah it's it's come some way but it still has a very very long way to go long way to go i agree
1: mm. <laughs> very much so and I think that, you know, having conversations like this is really important because it brings up the topics that people don't know about. And if you're listening to this and you think that, well, this doesn't affect me, so I don't need to tune in or listen, it's actually really important because what if a friend of yours experiences this or you hear of someone else, it's great to have knowledge so that you can be very aware and, you know, knowing of your body. And Absolutely. So, hey, as you've mentioned a few times, hypothalamic amenorrhea, people are like, what is that big fancy word So tell us what actually is hypothalamic anomeria
0: so gemma i'm going to i'm gonna try to not get too science-y on us, but pretty much ha um is a lack of uh a period right uh but i do want to say that there isn't studies yet on it per se but i imagine it will be in the future uh the kind of starting points of HA too, which we can talk about. Um, I like to say it's almost like pre-HA. You could still have a somewhat of a cycle. Um, but the the I guess the definition of it or how I like to define it is a, a lack of period and an ovulation. So no ovulation, no egg being released, um, is the most common form of amenorrhea. So pretty much the sex hormones are shut down because your body is in low energy availability mode. Um, meaning like it is not going to run unnecessary functions of the body. And when I say unnecessary functions, sex hormones, you do not need to reproduce in a time of quote unquote famine. Because when I say low energy availability, it's like your body's in famine and, and, and it thinks it's, it's, not going to get a meal again and so um it shuts down all reproductive uh functions um as well starts to shut down other things such as um digestion is impacted sometimes you're super cold um so and libido is out the door because well there's no sex hormones so uh your hypothalamus kind of shuts that that access off to uh the sex hormones where um you know just kind of leaves them dormant, almost like prepubescent area. And, uh, you know, it's just your body's way of trying to protect you and use all the available energy that it does have to go towards your heart beating um, and your lungs breathing and your brain somewhat functioning uh, to help you survive.
1: And I'm sure there's some people listening to this who are like, that sounds like me or I've been there before that answers that question that I had three years ago. Why did that thing happen? And so why does hypothalamic and Maria occur and who I've got so many questions I want to ask, why does it occur? And who would it generally occur to? Is there like a stereotyped avatar that, you know, experiences hypothalamic anemia? And I know you mentioned it kind of takes an experience back to like a pre pubescent time or pre menarch first period or even first menarch because, you know, you were not always ovulating in the first very few cycles. So they can be non fertile cycles it's important, I think, to talk about like, well, what kind of avatar, what kind of person experiences this? So is there anything common that you see and then what leads to it? I know you mentioned about low energy and, you know, the body going, well, it's not necessary for you to carry child now. So let's just shut this thing down so we can survive elsewhere in our health. Um, But what else can you add to that?
0: So really we have to think of Whenever HA does occur, it's just our body's way of trying to protect us. So, and what I guess the usual avatar is um, well, first, let me say what most medical providers and maybe books I know when I was in um, college, uh, my medical nutrition therapy book said HA only occurs in women with low BMIs and um, athletes or someone with really low body fat percentage. And that could not be farther from the truth. Does it happen in those individuals? Yes, absolutely. But HA has no, um, uh, no particular person, like my book said, and most medical providers think. And so really, It could be, you can be any size. You can have a BMI that is overweight slash obese. Uh, You could be quote unquote normal weight. You could have quote unquote normal labs. Um, You could just be not eating enough. You could be not eating enough and exercising too much. So there really isn't um, one avatar. However, the, the, I, The client I see is generally the woman who is, quote unquote, very healthy, is striving to be her healthiest self, which typically means her fittest, thinnest self, and she's eating lots of vegetables, following certain diets, maybe counting macros, calories, Um, always had a um, a fixation on her body image. Orthorexia. yes yes so pretty much me like who i was before yeah yeah and so um very into fitness fitness is her identity like she doesn't usually go a day without exercising and if she does she's feeling really bad very guilty about herself um she is type a personality she's easily stressed out and um she typically um figures this out when she comes off the pill. And mm. here's the thing with that Gemma, is that, you know, if someone's listening right now and they're like, "Oh, this doesn't, you know, fit me." Um well, first of all, if you're on oral contraceptives at all, uh you won't know your periods missing. It masks your missing period. So that's one. Um and two, like health is such a loaded word nowadays where it's because everyone is trying to be healthy that you don't find these behaviors such as exercising every day intensely, getting, you know, upset if you miss a day at the gym, um, skipping meals or like holding yourself to some high standard because you went so many hours without eating, Uh, you know, so there's, i could probably go on and on about about um usual tendencies but that's the typical avatar um however and i'm just speaking to most of the women i see you could be like not eating enough and not even know it because it's just so normalized um you could also be exercising what you think is not a lot but actually to your body is a lot. Mm. So it's it's hard because we also attach our identity to this whole health image. I know I did. I'm like, "Wait a minute." I'm like, I when a doctor finally diagnosed me with that, I was like, "No, no, no. I don't fit that bill." And then when I sort of came to terms with it, I'm like, "Whoa. Like I don't even know myself outside of the gym. I don't I I don't know myself without eating healthy and how in the heck am I going to be me and a dietitian if I gain weight? So, yeah. I'm it's loving where this conversation is going. I'm
1: loving where this conversation is going. This episode is proudly sponsored by USANA Health Sciences, my number one nutritional supplement choice. I've been using these products and paying to use these products for well over 10 years because their quality far exceeds the rest. Yep, they're manufactured to a pharmaceutical grading, which means they're made to the highest standards of manufacturing for nutritional products in the world. Personally, every day I use these products just a part of my healthy regime, just like brushing my teeth. I found their products to really be transformative for my own personal PCOS journey, keeping my skin radiant, my energy balanced, and a healthy digestive system. Every day I use the Prenatal Cell Essentials because I believe a prenatal is a foundation for all types of cycle health, not just for preconception and pregnancy. A mercury-free fish oil, a probiotic to support my past leaky gut experience, And of course, a magnesium calcium with vitamin D. This blend is fantastic for my inner autumn. And I always take a little bit more before I begin bleeding. So I have a smooth transition into my next menstrual cycle to learn more and try these products and discover them for yourself. I have a cheeky up to 20% discount for you. Head to GemmaLee.Usana.com to learn more and save. That's GemmaLee.Usana.com. It's so interesting because, you know, if we think back to your journey and my journey, and I think very similar. So I came off, I ended the contraceptive pill consumption in
0: 2014. So what year were you roughly around? Uh, Let's see. Um, I got married in 2011 and I think I came off of it like mm, probably, yeah, in 2011 because it was like a little bit before I got married and I was like, oh, no big deal. I'm getting married soon and then no period came and then i was like well well what if my period little did i know that that thing was not coming back for a long time i was like let me go back on the pill because i don't want to have my period for my wedding and so yeah but little did i know that thing was not coming because also Gemma, when i was in the midst of wedding planning i was my healthiest self Mm. quote unquote healthiest. I was my most unhealthy self. Yeah. Let me tell you. Yeah.
1: So <laughs> so similar <laughs> times, like within a couple of years, very similar times. And the reason why I asked Cynthia is because I really feel that that time in the world of health and, you know, that was just before I came off the pill a year or two after I became a coach and I'd already been working as a nutritional food science formulator in a nutritional manufacturing company for seven years. So I'd been, you know, doing private label food work for a number of years and I'd seen shifts in the companies that were producing nutritional products. And I really kind of put back that 2011, 2012, 13, 14, 15, the, the rise of anal health, like, and not anal oh, yeah. ass, but- no. real- regimented health. And I can easily put my hand up and say, I fell into that bandwagon, but and for a long time I've shared like little segue, a long time I've shared about emotional eating and how emotional eating isn't just when you overeat or undereat. Emotional eating is also when you sit around the table at Thanksgiving or Christmas and you share amazing food and memories with loved ones. Like that's also emotional eating, like eating out of joy and passion. And so we have the full spectrum of the rainbow with emotional eating, but my personal impact of emotional eating was after I had leaky gut, which I had before I came off the pill. And the pill was like the last step for me in like, you know, reclaiming my gut, you could say. And so I had just decided to to create my own rate, like regime with health around leaky gut, because I couldn't find anyone that helped me back then. So I became very some people would call it obsessive, but I actually at the time was like, it's actually really easy. I just ate fruits and vegetables and I had no restriction. I could eat as much or as little as I wanted, but I'd removed everything else that was really like impacting my gut health. And the challenge emotionally for me was the stress of reintroducing a food, knowing that it actually physically impacted me in the past. And so I was like, well, how am I ever going to be able to eat beans again? Because I used to be the size of a six month pregnant woman when I did eat beans. And so that was my trauma was really stuck around that. And I'm so proud of myself that now I have no food limits and I, you know, really Yay. live in tune with my cycle. And I've been doing that for God, probably it probably took me until 2015, right? So a long time since then, but it comes back to the Ayurvedic because I started ancestral health and Ayurveda. So when we look at Ayurveda um, and traditional Chinese medicine is that a healthy woman is a woman who carries a little bit of plumpness in her skin or in the Western world, we might call that weight. And that weight communicates safety. It communicates that, you know, this body can carry child, this body can birth child, this body can breastfeed. But the ideology of the Western world is, you know, marketed to that lean, thin, culture. And that lean, thin culture has now become the ripped abs, biceps, triceps kind of woman. And there's so much, I love that we're talking about this and I'm going on a rant. I apologize. <laughs> it's <laughs> fine. It's. I think it's so important for us to reclaim how we are on the earth. I'm always talking about the earth and that we're not designed to live in this regimented structure, which is the masculine. We're designed to you know, have the ice cream, but then also have the salad and also have, you know, kitchery and dal, but then also eat some meat mm. if we're feeling drawn to eating meat. Um, and knowing that our life cycle is always going to change, like babies don't eat all the foods, but then over time they, they add foods in and then we remove other foods. And I think we forget that as adults, we can do that too.
0: Oh, yeah. I think as adults, we totally forget. And to me, what you just described kind of in the RD world is intuitive eating. Mm. Like, okay you know i'm feeling like ice cream it's 90 degrees fahrenheit out or you know what oh gosh you know i had a a cheeseburger for lunch i'm just feeling like a nice veggie salad uh and that some weeks you might have the same thing for breakfast over and over because that's what you're in the mood for and then the next week it might be something different and yeah you're exactly right that intuitiveness that just like kind of you know, going with the flow of your cycle or the flow of Earth, um, seasons, mm. all the things. Yes, we totally somewhere along the line, Gemma, we lose that. Um, sure. We lose that, and and some are sooner than others. And I don't want to blame upbringing at all because it's not just upbringing. Our you know our our whoever brought us up parents, whoever. Um, but it's also societal. It's so multifaceted. It's, it's just mind blowing. Um, but you know, it starts in the home and I can probably tell you any woman I work with, um, gosh, if I had to do a percentage, I would say probably at least 90% or more Mm. have mothers that were also restrictive or quote unquote, you know, into health a lot. I know I did.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. I've got you know, I'll, I've got many amazing aunties. My mum is one of six and has four sisters, oh, wow. and a brother who has a partner. And so yeah, I've got I've got amazing aunties. That's just on my mum's side. But I just remember and having worked in the food industry of manufacturing, you know, you get to know a lot about recommended daily intakes, recommended daily amounts, where they come oh, from, yeah. the calorie equation, how that was created and invented, and you get to learn a lot about all the things and. Where the way we follow food labels today, this is so off topic, but I think (laughs) we're going in a great direction. No, it's great to talk about this. Where we look at food labels, we're still mathematically creating our nutritional panels and nutritional labels the same way we did a hundred years ago. And so much has changed in the way that food is produced that we're really living outdatedly with food labels. And so my, my biggest, you know, encouragement to all of my clients is to eat as close to nature as possible. Nature doesn't fuck it up, eat in season, eat the colors of the rainbow and where possible buy something that's not in a package. Or if it is, it's only got like one to maybe four ingredients, ideally three. And the rest is just more confusing, you know, cause we've been digesting food for the eternity of humans on the planet but it's all the other things that make it really confronting and confusing. And that's the same thing with like hormonal birth control. Yeah. It's very suppressive and confusing for the body. And so when you come off it, your body's like, Holy fuck, where are we? What do we do? I don't even know where the ovaries are. Do we even have ovaries left?
0: (laughs) Seriously. And I have to say too, Gemma, our bodies are not mathematical equations. Mm -hmm. Like, like yes, I know there's there's equations out there. Like oh, my BMR. Like I, I can't tell you how many followers I have. Well, my BMR is this, my basal metabolic rate. Yeah, the, the rate in which you you burn calories, right? Um, or my resting energy, R E E, resting energy expenditure. And the thing is, like that, it's just it is an equation. I can't remember who made them up. Um, but it doesn't like your body isn't a calculation. And mm. that's what I was taught in college, too. It's like your, your body's a calculation. And and the food labels like we become so hyper fixated on those, regardless of the ingredients, it's this hyper related to somehow our bodies like seemingly being a mathematical equation when there's so many variables that impact that. Um, and so, you know, someone with HA has probably a lower resting energy expenditure or BMR, basal metabolic rate than I don't want to say the typical person because not everyone's alike, but usually that that is a lot lower. Um, and so here we are like, well, I should be eating this because my maintenance calories are this, or like it's like your, your body is not a calculation. And I wish I knew that sooner. Um, mm. but it just doesn't work that way. And two, do you really want to live the rest of your life looking at your body like a freaking calculation? Mm. Or do you just want to eat and move on with your damn life? Yep. I love it. They're great points. And yeah, the body doesn't care about that shit.
1: And I think what we forget to, and I see this a lot, is that people, they think, well, I'm eating this food and that food is said to be good for me. So therefore my health should be good. But that doesn't actually bring in any of the Eastern approaches to food around how you prepare the food, how you actually eat the food. So your mastication, your chewing, your digestion. It doesn't take into account the environment that you live in, whether that's you're eating out of stress or fear or under pressure or, you know, pressure at work perhaps, or family pressures, or you're a new mom and you're like, fuck, I can just eat dry toast. that has been sitting on the bench for four hours. Like that's all I've got like that, that, you know, those equations don't take any of that into account. And I think we need to really stop thinking about our food. This is my little thought process on it anyway, but we need to stop thinking about it. And let our body guide us with the feeling. And I've really noticed over the last four to five years, there's been a lot of people who were once a vegan who were like, oh, I really would like some chops. I'm really feeling called for eggs or fish. And my message is always that listen to your body. Like your body's going to ask for what it needs nutritionally. And, yes, you might need to add a supplement or um you know, a vital means, which is where the word vitamin comes from. You might need to add that in as additional support, but listen to the messages your body is actually giving you intuitively. And if you're hearing it a number of times, if you don't listen, it will end up screaming at you in a way that you don't enjoy. Yeah,
0: no. And Mm -hmm. this is true, Gemma. And I have to say, there are some women that I work with. So with HA, typically the intuitiveness is usually out the window. Mm. Um, One, because they've been suppressing their appetite for so long. Two, they're hyper fixated on what health should and should not be. They're fearful of weight gain. So the intuitiveness is something um, I like to say you can be intuitive um, a little bit with trying to regain your period. Um, And we'll talk about how to do that after. But you can be intuitive. And what I mean by that is if you are called to eat something, you eat it. Um, but you also need to be intentional because mm. HA right. is a direct cause from low energy availability, a.k.a. not enough food. So because you have been suppressing um, your appetite, maybe chewing gum, just Totally under fueling and over exercising, your uh, hunger signals will go dormant. Um, you'll get sometimes a lot of quote unquote mental hunger, which is actually real hunger. It's just the body's way of being smart and not expending as much energy as it would take for your belly to growl to make you know hunger sensations in your stomach. Um, so you know that's that's really a great point to be intuitive, but also with HA, just want to throw in some HA facts, to also be intentional about eating mm. enough for sure. So important.
1: And I really feel that in general, I think we're moving out of the starve, like starving yourself culture. I think we've, we've moved that slowly, but you know, even, and actually I'd love to get your outlook on this intermittent fasting. Now, of course we fast whilst we are, you know, asleep overnight. And I think that's important to give ourselves a digestive rest so that we can do other cleansing and rejuvenation. But for the menstrual cycle as a registered dietitian, what is your outlook on skipping breakfast and fasting until say 11 AM and then eating between 11 and six or so? So is this someone with a regular menstrual cycle? Did you say anybody or not? Anyone, whether they've okay. whether they're planning on conceiving in two years' time, whether they don't have any cycle challenges, whether they do have cycle challenges, what is your overall outlook? And then let's talk about those who might have ha- hypothalamic and amenorrhea.
0: Um, I think uh, it's a crack of shit. Um, just because in you might be listening and be like, "Well, there's this study and that study and this study on it." Okay, first off, let's just like take a snippet of quote-unquote studies who's in the study how many people are in the study what kind of subjects are they studying for how long is the study who's paying for the study like you just can't be like oh well a study showed um probably so mostly done one. on men yeah but probably. most of the studies. Yes. yeah um and so you know intermittent fasting if you are hungry like just like you have to pee or go number two whatever you're hungry, your body's asking you for food, just like it's asking you to take it to the bathroom. It's a, a natural, like, biological function. And so I think intermittent fasting is just a fad of not eating. Like, like, uh, you know, like we're going out of that starve me face and we're just turning it into calling it fasting or intermittent fasting. Yep. Um, And so you are getting that fast during um, nighttime when you're going yep. to sleep. Um, mm. and so, you know, someone with HA, absolutely not. It's not. like a negative communication feedback, isn't it? N- yeah. You're just like reiter, yeah, you're reiterating to the body. Like there's no food around, even though your pantry, like your food, you might have crackers at your bedside. Your body doesn't know that. So definitely either way, I 10 out of 10, not recommended if that's even a thing.
1: <laughs> what I'm What I'm hearing you say is. Really, we all could be intuitively eating and using our intuition, our sixth sense to yep. listen to our body. And I think what I see, Cynthia, is when women start tracking their cycle with a written tracker and really tuning into that. Over time, they create this great awareness and communication with the body that they start to go, Oh, I actually really wanted rest yesterday. So I didn't go to the gym. And actually, I felt pretty good that I didn't go to the gym but there has to be an icebreaker. You know, You have, it has to feel uncomfortable for it to be creating change for you. And I know you mentioned before about the overexercising. And for me, I grew up very sporty. I played a lot of sports, very competitively for, you know, very high levels of, you know, competition. And, you know, if I didn't go to the gym when I was menstruating for, because I used to be a Stillwater rower and played basketball and yada, yada, all the things, triathlon, Is if I didn't go to the gym, I was like, "Well, I'm going to fall behind, and if I fall behind, then clearly I'm not going to be as good as what I could be." So I really should go to the gym every day. And that was the hardest part for me to change when I was learning to live cyclically is that when I was menstruating, that it's okay to just have a rest. And I always say is that people will take three or four days off to go away for a wedding and to like have a number of cocktails and eat the cheese board but they can't do take three or four days of low movement or easeful movement, yin style movement, because they're menstruating.
0: I know. Yeah, (laughs) I know. And can I tell you, Gemma, I was never in, well, I didn't have a cycle for a lot of my fittest years, but now that I do have a regular cycle, I am just, it is like the best thing ever because you heard me in the beginning of the show. My follicular phase, I'm full of energy. <clears throat> typically, I'll do more intense stuff. After ovulation, I am taking it low key. Once the period comes, mm, nope. Probably not doing much of anything. Maybe very gentle movements, like yin style movements, uh, really going inward. And typically, the day before my cycle, I get hit so hard with just tiredness. And now, in the past, Gemma, that would totally like i have things to do i gotta check it off my to-do list like i can't rest nope my body asked me for rest you better believe even in midday if i'm working i'm like oh my gosh i'm so tired i have a couch in my my office i go right over there take a quick nap love it so but that is the beauty if those that are listening with a missing period, you start to get your cycle back. There's so much you can do with your cycle. You can know when to do your intense workouts, you know when your appetite is stronger, your creativity, your libido, just you become so cyclical. And I can tell you, Gemma, if my cycle's even a day off, which most of the time it isn't, I've had some different changes going on in my life the past couple months, which I think impacted it a little bit, Um, but like, before it was to the T and the past couple of months, I'm like, it's a day late. I'm like, what is going on? Like, I don't feel like myself, like what is going on? Um, but there's, like I said, some changes occurring in my life where I, I think it's um, impacting it in a positive way, positive changes. So. Mm. Great to know. I'm loving these conversations. Okay. Let's circle back and let's
1: talk about HA. So hypothalamic anamoeia. What can we do if we have been diagnosed in inverted brackets or told by um, a doctor of some form that we have hypothalamic, hypothalamic or just anamenorrhea, or we just have a missing period. What are like the top five foundational
0: things that you'd recommend and how we can get our periods back? Absolutely. So first I want to say, if you do get that diagnosis of H.A., I want to jump for joy for you because many medical professionals won't know what it is, won't properly diagnose, or they will misdiagnose you with polycystic ovarian syndrome. And I just want to really quickly touch upon that is PCOS, polycystic ovarian syndrome, cannot just be diagnosed by the doctor doing an ultrasound and finding these cysts all over your ovaries. And so you know, Gemma, that in in a menstrual cycle, we have these things called follicles. And um these follicles, uh, maybe one or two will, you know, get bigger. One, maybe two sometimes will release an egg well with ha your body is literally like stuck in the follicular phase so you're gonna see all these tiny little quote unquote cysts which are actually follicles in your ovaries so it cannot just be diagnosed with that and that's how mine was diagnosed gemma Mm -hmm. um so i don't know about yours but so just want to throw that out there so if you get the diagnosis awesome but also here are some things that i want to say you know your body best okay you don't I don't want to say you don't have to get a diagnosis. Um, AJ is actually a diagnosis of exclusion. So um, ruling out pituitary tumors, um, other menstrual abnormalities should be done in order to come up with a diagnosis. But regardless, if you have a missing period, and you fit the bill of quote, unquote, regular exercise where you're not having any rest days, your guilt, is high if you don't exercise you're choosing exercise over most things um healthy eating quote-unquote healthy eating limiting calories portions obsessing over what you're eating getting feeling guilty if you ate something and you weren't able to go to the gym whatever basing all meals and past present future meals um avoiding social situations so all these things coupled with um a missing period and I can talk about the physical signs. So again, I don't, I'm not using this as medical advice. I'm just saying my experience is most women are not diagnosed properly. Um, And so these are some things to look out for physical signs and symptoms. um, Typically you're going to have zero to low no estrogen, um, a thin uterine lining. Um, again, you can have these polycystic appearing ovaries, no cervical mucus, um, or very little cervical mucus, um, quote undiagnosed infertility so many of these fit healthy women go to the fertility doctor they're like oh we don't know what's wrong with you um so that drives me nuts yes 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 um so you may or may not get a bleed off of the provera or progesterone challenge you're likely not going to have any libido or any kind of interest in sex. I that was totally me, Gemma. I'm like, I just, I guess, I just don't even care for like that. Like, I just maybe that's just not the person I am. Well, no, I, that couldn't be farther from the truth. Like, once I got a cycle back, I was like, whoa, <laughs> you know? This so, is. um, yeah. <laughs> so sometimes, um, you may have a diagnosis of osteopenia, which could lead to osteoporosis, suffering from stress fractures, cold all the time digestion issues tiredness brittle hair skin nails thinking about food often um, and a normal body weight or a low body weight or even overweight so those are some behavioral and physical signs and symptoms um And then, you know, you have the perfectionist tendencies, you might have some past trauma in your life, um, high prevalence of anxiety or depression, uh, stressed out, easy body image issues. So those are some things along with your missing period. I want, if this, you're kind of checking the boxes, you can still treat your missing period without validation from anyone else.
1: Yeah, I think it's important to know that you don't need someone else to always help you. You can actually start with what you're already
0: doing every day and make simple, small changes. Absolutely. So for those out there that maybe fit some of the things I've shared, eating enough for your body, exercising appropriately, meaning no intense physical activity at all, which if you want to be like very straightforward is not getting your heart rate up above 100 beats per minute so that is like you're pretty much taking a break from exercise and you could think of your period gone missing as an injury you broke your ankle you broke your foot um, and really focusing on nutrition fat carbs and some protein uh, but really the carbohydrate is the main macronutrient for the brain fat is essential for so many things and hormone uh you know fat thrives off of excuse me hormones thrive off of having enough fat and then of course in order to be reproductive you have to have a certain body fat percentage so all the macronutrients protein carbs and fat are important but most of the women suffering from ha typically are limiting fat and limiting carbs and really honing in on the protein so um which sounds easier said than done oh i have to take a break from exercise and eat more um yeah that is that's the recipe for a period that is the recipe but it is not as easy as it sounds because yeah, there's <laughs> just so many layers to why we ended up with a missing period in the first place and so not only do i help women, you know, relearn how to eat and relearn how to exercise and then we eventually get into the intuitive part once we've reestablished regular menstrual cycles, but really taking a look at the mindset behind why we lost our period in the first place because we could simply eat more and rest more and get a period back, right? But if you're still having those thoughts around food, obsessing about your body, about exercise, let me tell you, I've been there and it is no way to live. Mm. It might be normalized because the majority of the world is doing that, but it's no way to live. Trust me, it's it's much better on the other side where you're able to eat intuitively, exercise intuitively, be happy, have libido, make babies if you want babies, um, have good bone health, um, not be cold all the time, not be constipated 24 um, seven. Yeah. All the things and being able to just live like mm. and be spontaneous. It really goes
1: to show that there's so much that we can do for ourselves. And, you know, the period switching off, which ultimately switching off because ovulation is switching off, which is ultimately switching off because the body doesn't feel safe or supported is that you can start helping the body feel safe and supported, which will then you know, healthily contribute to ovulation and a fertile cycle and then menstruating and creating uterine lining to menstruate out. So I think it just comes back to that whole safe and support that the body really craves. And we feel very safe when we are nourished. And I love the word healthy. I know we are talking earlier about like, like, so sick of the word healthy, but Mm. heal thy is the word healthy. And so we have the availability to heal thyselves If we really stop, drop, and listen to like what the body really wants and what it's really calling for. And I love all of these beautiful, beautiful tips because they seem so simple, but people think they have to spend all the money on all the products to get all the things back that they desire in their health, when really it ultimately just comes back to
0: our behavior. Yeah, absolutely. And Gemma, I just want to add, because I think it's very important for those listeners out there that are like, well. I don't need my body to feel safe because I don't want to have babies or I don't want to have babies right now. Yes. And we'll guess, guess what guys, and I don't want to scare you by any means, but I have to tell you the truth um, that having a menstrual cycle, a regular ovulatory cycle is much more than baby making. It is about bone health, lack of estrogen, girlfriend, your bones are going to go to the shitter. Um, And if you're an athlete, you might say, "Well, I can't stop, you know, doing whatever it is because, you know, I'm not going to make, you know, the Olympics or whatever." Well, do you want to end up with a stress stress factor and like be out maybe indefinitely? Um, and so, treating this like a a legit injury, it is. And so, osteoporosis is one thing, and heart disease. So there is more and more research coming out um, that estrogen and potentially cortisol, we know for certain estrogen, is playing a huge part in women's heart health. And I was actually just recording a podcast um, with Dr. Cassandra Schufelt, who is over in the U.S. at the Mayo Clinic, which is a pretty world, probably world-renowned, but definitely state-renowned. World-renowned, I'll say that. Yeah live in australia i know about the mayo clinic okay awesome so um she is doing a lot of uh studies on ha and heart health and she was we were recording a podcast together and heart disease at least in the us which i can't remember she might have said worldwide is the leading cause of death for women okay and so what is happening is that your estrogen right now say if your period is missing It's not like going, you're not going to die of a heart attack like now, but when you're 70, because of the years and years of low estrogen, that's when it's going to happen. Um, so that's, bone health is super important. Um, Bone health, sorry, heart health, bone health, obviously fertility we're talking about. Those are the big ones. And then there's smaller things like frequent urination, digestive issues, but the bone health. Heart health, the infertility um, are the the big the biggies. So if you don't want to have babies big. ever or not now, that's okay. But think about your heart health. Think about your bone health. That's a really
1: great point. I'm so glad that you mentioned that and brought it up because our menstrual cycle is you know the daily or the daily check in, but the monthly health check. And for those who are like, well, oh, I don't like having my period. I'm just going to take this hormonal contraception, so I never have to worry about it. Is that Our body's designed to thrive off having a cyclical nature of a cycle. And when we suppress that, you know, there are ramifications that can come from that. And so I think we all just need to realize and really awaken and remember who we are, how we're brought into the world, and how to support and nourish ourselves long term. And I think having a healthy cycle is one
0: of the most important things. Totally 100% agree, Gemma. And I hope one day that the medical world will recognize it as a, a another vital sign. Mm. Um vital
1: yeah. sign. Yes, like Lisa Henderson Jack's book. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Pretty yes, sure it's Lisa yes. Henderson Jacks. Yep. Jack Jackson? Jack's
0: um wait, Um on. it's Jack. Her yeah, her Jack. book's right behind me.
1: <laughs> yeah. So um yeah, vital sign. And it really is a vital sign. And I love it really you know, is summarize everything. Ultimately, it's like eat in alignment with your cycle, move in alignment with your cycle. Sometimes you'll feel high, sometimes you'll feel low, embrace that. That also comes back to like living in alignment with your energy and your mood. So honoring where you are, not with always where you are in your cycle, but where you are on each day. Any other little tips you'd love to add to that that people can,
0: you know, maybe add to those three? I would say if you're missing a period and you have lots of energy, it's not real energy. It's your stress hormones. Mm. So you may find as time goes on and you do start to eat more and rest more, you might feel like complete shit. Um, and it's a good thing because that means your stress hormones are, are decreasing and likely your your uh, sex hormones are starting to come out of um, hibernation. Mm-hmm. So th- I just wanted to throw that in there. Um, right. But really, if you can truly eat enough rest enough restore a healthy ovulatory cycle you can i feel like the world is i don't like oysters but i like tacos so i like to say your the world is your taco <laughs> and it like is. it really it's just it is so transformational to be able to connect so many things to your cycle which i'm sure you mentioned all about it in your podcast episodes, but truly it's been life-changing for me, um, for my clients to, after they get their cycle back, be able to connect so many dots to their, mm. their menstrual cycle.
1: Oh, I've loved having you on the show to share all of this. So thank you. Yes, um, thanks for having I, me. you're welcome. You're worth it. How can your listeners, my, your listeners, how can my listeners connect to you? <laughs> <laughs>
0: So, um a couple different ways. I I'm mostly on Instagram. So <clears throat> period.nutritionist is my um Instagram name. Um I also have a podcast as well. Um, the Period Recovery Podcast. And um, you might find me a little bit on TikTok, not so much. Um, and then if you want to visit my website, it's just periodnutritionist.com. Um, and my DMs are always open. I love to hear from others. And usually when I do a podcast recording, I'll get an influx of DMs like, oh my gosh, I never knew this. And, you know, t- I just want to, just take your time digesting all this information um, and reach out if if you need anything or have any questions. Mm, I love that. Thank you. Of course, all of these will be in the show notes. So I have a
1: final podcast question for you as we wrap up. Switching gears. I love asking, I guess, this question. So Cynthia, I want you to think back to your younger menstruating self. So when you got your period for the first time, what are three things you wish you had have known then
0: that you now know today? Oh, gosh, Gemma, I could probably do a whole nother podcast recording on this. Um, first, I got my period pretty late, and it was irregular, regular, and um, I don't know what was going on, and I wish I figured out what was going on when I was younger. They just put me on the pill. So, I wish I knew, one, the pill wasn't a a fix or, like, a Band-Aid, you know, I just thought, like, oh, this is treating my problem, but it wasn't. So, the pill, um, I wish I knew more about the menstrual cycle and, like, how moods would fluctuate, appetite, um, all the things that are connected. And um, I also wish it wasn't, I mean, back in the day, this is, gosh, I'm, uh, this is 25 years ago, I don't know if I'm doing the math right, um, but I wish it wasn't um, so taboo. Like, ooh, a period, gross. Like, I wish I I knew how much of a vital sign and how much it truly connects me to my my body. Mm,
1: I love that. Thank you. I do too. I wish all of those things for my younger self too. Um, Cynthia, this has been amazing. Thank you so much for dedicating and sharing your time with us to, you know, open up the conversation about HA and all the things that can really impact our cycle health, not just those who are missing their period. So it's been wonderful having you on the show. So thanks for joining us. Yes. Thank you, Gemma.